This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game with me, Kevin Day, and Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire. Kieran, good morning, good Sunday morning to you. How are you, Kieran? Um, I'm very good. We're, we're recording this at just gone 10am, so uh, I think we, we're both keeping an eye uh, on Headingley. <laughs> so if this show is slightly shorter than normal, um, you, you can blame blame cricket well we, yes we we did actually ask producer guy if we could have a few less questions than normal simply because we both want to see what new and imaginative ways england can find to lose a cricket match um, <laughs> unfortunately we do have a couple of news stories we need to get through but before that kieran um i've got a question for you following your your saturday night possibly playing to how was the squid ceviche kieran the squid ceviche was good. Uh, I mean, the, the Baroness went to a gin festival yesterday, <laughs> leaving me so by she myself. Was, so she was ceviche herself then, basically. <laughs> she, she was very ceviche <laughs> by the time I picked her up. So, so she said, uh, just just sort out tea for yourself, which, which you know, I, I do all the cooking anyway, so that's not, not an issue. And that, that's normally her code for, um, I, I love... Uh, I, I love baked beans fried in bacon fat. Yeah, that was, that's one. It's one of my favourite bloke old school meals. It's my, it's my, it's my old man. He, he, he taught me to cook that, and he was he was in the RAF. Uh, you know, way back in you know fifties, whenever it was. Mm. Um, so that was one of the things he'd learned. So that had been sort of been passed on, sort of. Uh, but I decided not to go down that particular route and uh, went, went uh, got myself some squid. Um, yeah, it was. It was it was okay. Uh, I had plenty of chili with it and sauces and so on. But I don't don't think I'll do it again. You've you've pretty much got both ends of the scale there, Kieran, and, and an indication of how far you've grown from your Bermondsey roots. <laughs> you had a choice between baked beans fried in bacon fat and squid ceviche. Well done. <laughs> yeah, <Thank> yeah. <laughs> uh, sugar sandwiches was my dad's uh, favourite treat. Tweet, oh, well. <laughs> tweet, yeah, another good South London boy. Sugar sandwiches, uh, and, and a bit of lard from the frying pan spread on toast. How any of our parents survived beyond the age of forty-five <laughs> is a mystery to me. Okay, we do have some news stories, but we need to start uh, on a serious note by mm. uh, sending our condolences and our sympathy to the family and friends of John Berylson the owner of Millwall, who was killed in a car crash this week. And, of course, our condolences to everyone involved with Millwall Football Club. Um, by all accounts, we've lost a decent person there, Kieran, and a good club owner. Yes, and yeah, I, th- I think we'd said on the, the most recent show, we had a bit of a moan that there were too many wrongers in football. Well, John Barrowson was, was, a, was a good guy. He... Uh, he had a good relationship with the people at the club. He had a good relationship with the fan base. He uh, he had a strategy. Uh, he, he put money into the club. 
Um, and uh, yeah, from what I understand, it's it's still going to be business as as usual at uh, at Millwall because uh, you know, he has left behind a legacy, and I think his son's on the board. But yeah, very very sad news. And uh, yeah, yeah, love and condolences to all at the club. And uh, it's good to see people rallying around because at a time when things can be so tribal and uh, obnoxious on social media and so on, the, you know, the, the reaction of everybody has, has been the appropriate one. And uh, just uh, just all the best to his family. And, and uh, yeah, they've, they've, they've got to go through a, a grieving process now. And, and, and for those people who are opportunists, just stay away. Just shut your mouth uh, and, and be decent for once. Well said. Uh, talking of tribal, uh, Kieran, uh, things are all getting very tribal at, at Scunthorpe to the extent, well, it's, it almost seems like an open civil war at the moment and it's got to be a worrying time for their fans. Yes. I mean, if, if you're in dispute with somebody from a business point of view, Normally, the best way to do this is is in a business like way. Yeah. Um, Facebook and message boards probably not the most business like way, but but that's that's where we've come to now. Um, the former owner Peter Swan appears to because yeah, you, you can't guarantee the accuracy of yes, of course, on social media. Um, but what appears to be a message from. Uh, Peter Swan and I, I have spoken to some journalists who say, "Well, we've received similar um, messages." Uh, has has put up his frustrations, effectively saying that he's he'd agreed a price for the club and uh, that has not uh, that's not manifested itself in terms of cash. So he's frustrated. Uh, I think he was locked out of the stadium. There's some sort of dispute, and the new owner has also gone on to social media using Facebook as a means to have a go at Peter Swan and also to have a go at uh, fans who have been critical of some of his ideas, such as the uh, you know the, the the scheme to get fans to to buy the, I think the for nineteen hundred pounds you you get sort of a special ticket yeah um, and, and so on and I don't think that's been as successful as, as had been hoped. So it's it, it's very messy. Um, I, I think we we are. I've got to be honest. We are constrained in what we can say in the public domain. Yes, of course. We've we've been contacted by some fairly senior people who have issues, which which are I, I don't think will come to light. Um, yeah. And I don't want to go and sound all sort of ITK and nudge nudge wink wink. But uh, it, it's it's not very clear um what's happening there i've been contacted by people at, at other clubs in the region to say do you know what's going on at scunthorpe and telling us the story to go blimey all right well that's that is the case that that that, that is a cause for concern um but uh wait and see um best best way to resolve disputes is 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 to talk to to talk to people and respect their views and try to come to a a, a mutually satisfactory uh, outcome and just to remind us Kieran who who owns what at Scunthorpe now does Peter Swan still own the club and or the ground or has any part no, of that been sold over Peter Swan has sold the club he right. sold the shares in the club to a gentleman called David Hilton. David Hilton was previously the owner at Ilkeston Town. Right. Um, he was previously also linked with the acquisition of Berry, but that that sort of unwound itself. Um, I think people sort of, you know, some fans were did a bit of digging, um, and, and then 
says, well, I, I just don't need this hassle. Um, so there has been talk about moving Scunthorpe to Ilkeston. I think that's now reversed itself. Uh, Peter Swan owns the ground but appears to be locked out of the ground right, because yeah. there's, some, there's some sort of legal loophole or, or uh, issue arising. All, all very messy. Um all, all, all very sad as well because yeah the fa- the fans just want to focus on what it's not been a good few years for Scunthorpe United, um, and uh, yeah they're they're starting in National League North with with a bit of uncertainty. They've not published their accounts, which again isn't great. Uh, yeah, there's there's cause for concern. And our, our final story, Kieran. Um, <laughs> Is one we predicted a couple of weeks ago. If we could uh, predict with the same certainty lottery numbers and the outcome of sporting events that we do <laughs> the potential route of certain financial stories, we'd be well. We wouldn't be doing this pod really. Uh, producer guy would be doing it with some random comedians. Of no, we would still be doing it for love, Kieran. But we'd be doing it in for more comfortable places. But it involves Chelsea. Yes, and um, I think you've got to give. A lot of credit to, uh, I think, the Chelsea Foundation and uh, a large swathe of, of Chelsea football fans. There was talk about uh, Chelsea. Uh, originally, they, they were supposed to be signing a deal with Paramount Plus, and, and for reasons yeah. which which seemed a bit strange. I think we discussed this at the time. Premier League says, "Oh no, we don't want broadcasters' names. Uh, it might upset some of our existing broadcasters." And I thought, well, yeah, that 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 does seem odd, given that, that the Premier League has official beer sponsors and we, we've got beer sponsors at other clubs and so on. Um, but it, it then transpired that Chelsea were in negotiations with stake.com and um, who, who are not just a gambling company, but an online crypto casino mm. uh, based in the Netherlands Antilles, um, which can you go, well, that, that's, that's taking an awful lot of, not particularly pleasant boxes. Um, nothing wrong with the Netherlands Antilles at all, except it's you know, offshore, um, you know, lack of transparency and governance, etc. Um, and uh, the, the Chelsea, the Chelsea supporters groups, and remember we've had somebody from Chelsea on here before, yeah. um, made it very, very clear that they felt that such an arrangement was not in keeping with their expectations of the club. And to be fair to Chelsea, um, they turned around and said under those under those circumstances we will um we will start we will start looking elsewhere so it looks as if chelsea could be um releasing their 23 24 shirt um without a sponsor as yet I, i'd still fully expect chelsea by the time the season starts to to have resolved that issue um but it does show that uh, that fan power and uh having you know just just because you feel that the game is is a wash with money and focused on money. Um, it, it still can have some standards. So, so, so fair play to everybody at Chelsea, in my view. Um, you know, I, I think that Stake.com is is a grubby organisation, right. um, and, and I'm not opposed to, to gambling. And as, as you know, but their particular version of it is is something which makes me feel very uncomfortable. Uh, the irony is there, Kieran. If Chelsea were to uh, put shirts on sale without a sponsor, they would probably double or treble the amount of shirts they sell, oddly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's uh, – and we, we have seen actually a few clubs this season are, are now selling yeah. shirts 
without the sponsor. Um, and I think that many people would be inclined to to go down that particular route. And it 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 doesn't doesn't certainly from from a, from a manufacturing point of view it's not an issue i think from the sponsors point of view of course they went what they want as many billboards um as they as they can generate um and uh, that's why i think they prefer to have their names on the shirts but e- even i think some of the the sponsors realize that this could actually be a winner for us because if, if they are they, they will be seen to be magnanimous well, um, by I, saying yeah so i was going to ask you that kieran because presumably then if if clubs are Offering fans the option of a shirt with no sponsor—that's part of the sponsorship deal itself. They won't be doing that without agreement from the sponsors, will they? No, no. Um, and, and ultimately, yeah, the sponsors are, are mainly focused on eyeballs, and eyeballs are on what's happening a at the stadium and b on television. Of course, all of the sponsors' names would be there. But uh, given given the price of shirts, some, somebody was telling me that the, the Arsenal shirt is. It is now eighty quid. Yeah, you know, this is mm. for a bog standard shirt. Um, certainly, yeah, Brighton were just brought out there. They're away strip. That's that's gone up to sixty quid. I've seen uh, Bournemouth's home shirt is sixty five. Yeah, we we are seeing a, a lot of upward movement uh, in, in terms of of prices. And if if they are going to do that, then you know perhaps give give fans the choice. Um, you know, because some fans would say, well, actually, you know, we we do like the sponsor because having the sponsor name because for us it feels slightly more authentic. Yep. And, and I'm, I never criticise anybody for for going one way or the other, but uh, you know, cho- choice is good. Well, also, I mean, some fans, a, a particular sponsor might be associated with a particular playoff success or mm. a, a promotion or whatever other success you wished. I, I was trying to think of Palace successes there, but I was. I stopped five seasons ago mentally. That's how quickly I went backwards. You mentioned the phrase, Kieran, expectations of the club, and that's what I think some new club owners don't expect themselves, for want of a a better word, because they possibly come in from owning clubs around the world, different sorts of sports clubs, where the relationship with the fan to the club is completely different, and then they're taken aback when fans are involved in something as basically financial decision as is because fans do have certain expectations of their club of their club's dignity and their club's integrity and sometimes that's going to have an impact on the club's financial plans but they need to be aware of that Kieran don't they and they not often are yes I think I think we are very proprietorial yes um and yeah that's good I I I was having a a fairly um heated discussion uh, on on a whatsapp group with some other fans um, of of the club I support, um, and I said, well, if if let's say if if we were acquired by a Middle Eastern investment fund, what what would your reaction be? Would you would you stop going? Would you still go and protest, or would you just go? Oh, well, you know, it's part of modern life. Um, and, and I was amazed that you know, over half said, well, under those circumstances, it's it's not my club anymore and I'd stop going. Um, uh, but, I'm, but I'm not saying that that's, that's right or wrong, uh, but it is indicative that I, I, I don't, I don't care when I, when I top up my car with petrol, I don't, I don't say to myself, well, I'm, I'm supporting regimes with whom I, I might sit, not see in alignment. Uh, it's the same when I, you know, when I shop at Sainsbury's and so on. Um, but it, it's, uh, it, it, it's, it's a funny one football uh, mm. in terms of there is an expectation that the club will do, for want of a better thing, the right thing. I, I can imagine, Kieran, that when it comes to a, a heated discussion with Brighton fans about anything, 
you can you can calm it down by mentioning that you've just knocked up a little squid ceviche. Absolutely. That will take all the tension out of the room. <laughs> Literally, a, a non-heated dish will take out the tension from a heated <laughs> discussion. Um, our first question, Kieran, uh, is about something that is really agitating our listeners at the moment. Um, but I'm going to ask it again, if only because of the confusion involved with the surname and the first sentence. So the question comes from Anthony Sheffield. Uh, and Anthony Sheffield says, I'm a Palace fan exiled in Barnsley. Uh, <laughs> so it's not often that we get three football teams' name mentioned just in the first line of a question. Um, our ex-chairman has spoken a few times about his belief that Premflix, where the Premier League create and control their own content via a Netflix-style subscribe and stream service, is the way forward. Should the EFL consider this approach in future? I'll read that again with the re- emphasis. Should the EFL consider this approach in future? It does seem, Kieran, the mood music amongst not just our listeners, but many football fans, is that traditional broadcasting is on its way out. And that essentially, there we're coming to a time when the clubs will basically look after their own broadcasting. But is, would this be a model that the EFL should follow? Um, I think we could say that to a certain extent, the, the EFL has considered that yes. model in the form of iFollow, um, which which was a yeah was which was a success, um, especially during lockdown. Um, there were some teething problems, but I think they they were addressed. Um, in terms of would it work on a more universal basis? I think you've got to look at ultimately what what a club's trying to do. They're trying to maximise their financial return on such an arrangement. And potentially they could generate more income. And I think that would be concentrated in the hands of of a fewer fewer clubs and there would be definitely winners and losers. But you've you've then got the setup costs. The the EFL is actually quite a lean organisation. So somebody has got to, would have to take a greater degree of responsibility with regards to the setup costs, to the planning. Um, club owners like certainty as well. And under the new uh, EFL deal, which is coming in in 2024, we're moving to 1,000 matches a season. So we're over halfway there in terms of the broadcasting by EFL clubs. Um, and the owners want to know at the start of the season, this is how much money we're going to receive. And with the EFL deal, they've got that. And that means that they can set a budget. Uh, they can know where their, their peaks and troughs will be in terms of cash flow over the course of the season. If you have a, an effectively an in-house arrangement, um, that could potentially cause problems. Let's say it gets to February and your team is 14th and you're playing the team that is 17th in the division in a pretty meaningless match, how many passes are you going to sell and how much revenue are you going to generate um, from having sort of an in-house or an EFL in-house deal? And I think that degree of uncertainty might make some owners think twice about it. But it certainly has has some merit and 
you know, the, the, the one thing that we know about the world of media and broadcasting is it's in a constant set set of change, and the the traditional broadcasters want to protect their position. The fact that we still have, you know, if you take a look at the the United States, we've got very long deals with mm. the likes of the NBA and the NFL and so on, and, and everybody seems happy. Although what tends to be the case is that the vast majority of those matches tend to be televised. Um, on on a, a local basis as well as sort of national basis. So um, watch watch this space um, as always, but uh, it has some merits. Uh, Sky probably don't make as much money out of the EFL uh, matches as as perhaps some people think. So therefore, there's not necessarily a lot of excess money to to be distributed. Um, and as, as I always say, when it comes to uh, sort of deals which impact upon more than one party. There, there's two issues. There's A, is it going to increase the size of the cake? And B, is it going to change how you cut the cake? Um, and that will ultimately determine uh, the decision that will be made. This episode of The Price of Football is brought to you by some breaking news from Manscaped. They are revolutionising men's grooming once again with the brand new Beard Hedger Pro Kit. From a beard trim to a fresh shave, the technology behind the Beard Hedger Pro Kit allows you to shape your signature beard look like never before. Now you can finally use Manscaped products to make your curtains match your carpet. And you could do that by going to manscaped.com and using code PRICEOFFOOTBALL for 20% off and free shipping. The Beard Hedger Cordless Trimmer has a rotary wheel that gives you 20 hair-cutting lengths, all with one guard. Plus, it's waterproof, so you can use it and shave yourself in the shower to avoid all of that hair in the sink. The titanium-coated T-blade is tough on hair, but smooth on your face, leading to single-stroke efficiency. The Pro Kit doesn't end there, though. It includes beard shampoo and conditioner, beard oil, beard balm, a beard brush, a comb and scissors to ensure your beard is ready to impress. Uh, The beard balm. Oh, it smells (laughs) lovely. You can get 20% off and free shipping with the code PRICEOFFOOTBALL at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code PRICEOFFOOTBALL. Manscaped Beard Hedger, one stroke, one guard, 20 lengths. I'm Steve Lamack and every week I'm joined by Music Allies Head of Insight Stuart Dredge on The Price of Music, the weekly podcast all about the money behind the music industry. In each episode we discuss the very latest goings on in the music business and dig into the finances behind the big stories. So whether you're a music lover who just wants to know more about what really goes on in the industry or you're an aspiring musician, manager or label owner who wants some inside knowledge on how Spotify's financial model really works or what the future holds for independent live music venues, this is a show for you. Subscribe to The Price of Music in your podcast app now. See you soon. Two questions off the back of that, Kieran. Um, uh, Sky is involved in the in the first one. As you mentioned, they may not make a lot of money out of it, but they certainly uh, 
occupy the moral high ground. Sky like to remind us that they are, you know, the way to watch the EFL and that they, they it seems like they they have a paternal arm around the shoulder of the smaller clubs. But was the move towards showing a thousand games plus um, an attempt to head off EFL clubs streaming their own games? I, I don't necessarily think so. Um, there was talk about uh, Scandinavian broadcasters coming in and trying to buy the rights. Oh, okay. Um, and they were looking for more matches. I think Sky wants to position itself as uh, the home of football um, and by having a lot of EFL com- content, that's one way of achieving that. Um, the the additional money is going to help clubs. Uh, uh, yeah, we'll have to wait and see uh, the, the impact on attendances. But if I, I was looking at some data uh, earlier this week and as far as season ticket sales are concerned, the clubs in the championship, they're fantastic, absolutely fantastic. Interesting. So there seems to be um, a bit of a feel-good factor with regards to football at present. And people, uh, yeah, a lot of people are, are cutting back on some things, but football still has that that sense of community that, that it's sort of it's the it's the last of the discretionary things that you want to give up mm. um because yeah you might go for fewer trips to the theater or fewer meals or you might have one pint less when you go out and so on but football still has that that unique sense of it gives you a discussion with your mates it gives you a sense of identity and uh you know after what's been a pretty tough few years uh, it, it's it's a it's a place of escape. You know, I, I I'm I'm one of the most meek and mild people on the planet. But when I go to a football match, you know, it, it's uh, you you do transform, and, and I think it actually can be good for you in a way, provided of course you keep it on the right side of the boundary. Kieran, I've seen some of your WhatsApp posts with your Brighton mates about the best <laughs> the best way to prepare couscous. Uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't say meek and mild. It's a description I would use there. Uh, also, you mentioned Scandinavia, which is again is an indication that we've been married way too long. Because my second point was about um, <coughs> I was going to say abroad. Then, as a general euphemism for not it not being in. Um, off the top of your head, Kira, what's in, in terms of say the, the top five leagues in, in Europe outside the UK? What's their issue on streaming? Do they, are they still sticking to more traditional broadcasting deals, or is streaming the way forward in Germany, Italy, France, Spain, etc.? No, no, the, the the individual countries are still selling their rights, and um, therefore, I think we, we we're going to be locked in for probably towards the end of this decade. But as technology changes, um, expect expect new things. Uh, we, we've seen uh, we've seen Apple have just brought out some form of product which you you wear on your head, which looks like a, a set of enhanced ski goggles, but that can give you an immersive experience from from your lounge or kitchen or wherever it is that you're watching the match in terms of VAR, VR, and AR. Um, and I think the the football teams will be watching this with a degree of uh, close attention to see. Uh, you know, the, the ideal position is we, we we can't get more than you know thirty, forty, fifty, sixty thousand people into the football stadium. But can we get to the football stadium re- in a realistic format into the eyes and ears and minds of of many people? And, and if so, 
uh, if you can have a 3D experience completely immersive, how much would they be willing to pay for that? I've watched enough episodes of Doctor Who, Kieran, to know that immediately putting on a 3D headset to watch a football game marks you out as the first victim of that week's episode. Because <laughs> if, if AI is going to get you, that's the way they're going to get you, Kieran. It is. Um, uh, talking of showbiz and entertainment, I meant to say at the start, I've got some good news for you. We, um, You know my views, I think, Kieran, although I don't share them often on this show, on rom-coms. Uh, yes. I'm a, I'm a ginnum. <laughs> yes. uh, I, I really genuinely can't stand. I, I start twitching at the mere mention of love, actually. I, I just. <laughs> I, so it was with some reluctance that I was persuaded by Ali to sit down and watch uh, a modern rom com last night Ooh. called Rye Lane, which is uh, set in Peckham, which uh, is brilliant. It's fantastic. Oh, but um, one of the one of the, the lead characters is a is a. An accountant, young a young man who's chosen accountancy. Uh, and, at, well, and at one stage, someone refers to the fact, "Well, you very rarely see a sexy accountant." And both Ali and I went, "Kieran Maguire." <laughs> so, but I'm afraid you need to watch Rowling, Kieran, because your your state, albeit it's fictional, but your status as sex world's sexiest accountant is is under fire. Anyway, um, our next question, Kieran. We are so easily distracted, aren't we, on this show? It's just, <laughs> and I'm just now I'm distracting people by saying how easily distracted we are. Our next question comes from Ryan Ford, and Ryan Ford says, "I've been doing some maths." Now, spo- a spoiler alert for those of you out there who love maths. Ryan, when he says some maths, is exaggerating a little bit. Uh, <laughs> he, he, he's used both hands he's, he, he has used both hands but Ryan is talking a good fight on the amount of maths that he's been doing but this is a great question Ryan says I've been doing some maths across the last four Harrogate Town games I've attended at home I've seen an average of seven footballs go over and out of the stadium who pays for these balls and does each EFL club get an allowed I like the fact that Harrogate Town is just going Ah, oh, there's another one gone out of the ground. Should we should we go and find it? No, leave it to the local population. They can play football with it. But um, it's a question that I believe came up very early on in the, the pod, Kieran. But who does pay yes. for those balls? And does he, if, I'm, I've been at an international game, Kieran. I was Liechtenstein Latvia, which I've mentioned before, where the ball sailed over the actual ropes. It wasn't a stand. Sailed over the ropes and went into a pond. And bearing in mind that was an international game, it took the UEFA official a good 30 seconds to come up with another ball because the people of Liechtenstein may be good for offshore banking, but they're not, they're not particularly <laughs> clearly reluctant to spend 30 euros on a new ball. If, if only it was just 30 euros. Oh, it's, yeah, of course. Oh, of course. Yes. I, I've, been, yeah. I've been researching this this morning. Um, and um, you know that we have the secret broadcaster amongst Mm. our canon of friends, where we also have the secret ball person. (laughs) Do we? We do. We do. (laughs) So so I I have been a a busy bunny. Um, And I'll tell you, it's no more than a – it's a well-placed source. Okay. Um, The the EFL have a deal with Puma. Um, I think think it used to be Mighty, didn't they? But Puma have taken over as the the official ball supplier. And I think they have it for some some other competitions as well. Um, And from what I understand is that an EFL club will get 120 of the highest grade balls uh, during the season. But they also get 10 of the winter balls 
And you and I are both oh, both old enough oh, to remember oh, yeah, oh, when, oh, when Match of the Day would take place oh. and Barry Davis would come on. Oh, they're using the orange ball today. You can tell Winters here. Um, so, uh, yes, it's it's 120 uh, of the... The, the match balls for the, the, you know, the, the traditional balls. And then you've got the the luminous balls. And I think there's 10 of those that are given. So those are, uh, and I, I don't know whether they ought to, perhaps they ought to give slightly more of those to clubs which are further up north because the weather tends to be a bit bit, bit bleaker. Um, uh, uh, and perhaps they ought to go and send some special ones to, to Harrogate which have got sort of those mini chips inside so that they can locate them when they disappear out of the ground. Mm. Um, but I, I thought, well, blimey, yeah, that's, that's a, you know, if, if you multiply that by, by 72 clubs, yeah, that's, that's an awful lot. Um, and uh, I, I, I contacted our, our source. I said, you know, what, what, what's in it for the manufacturers? Because, you know, they're effectively you know, giving these away for nothing. So well, if the clubs do want more balls, there's effectively there'd be some sort of mates rates um, arrangement. Uh, and I thought, well, yeah, do, do, do these actually sell? And, and apparently, they, yeah, the World Cup balls, the Champions League balls in particular, Premier League balls, EFL balls, they, they sell in huge numbers in, in, in the retail market. Do so, they? yeah, they, they are winners. Yeah, I, I, was, I was surprised. I just thought, you know, Ball to ball, but uh, perhaps perhaps it's something we should have investigated further in the book, in unfit and improper persons. Um, in terms of, do we need to upgrade our balls? Oh, don't put that doubt in my head, kid. We've got another proofread to come. Uh, did we? Do we mention ball? Uh, yes. If Barry Davis, if they had, a, if I was watching match of the day in the seventies and they had the luminous balls. And training shoes because it was so cold. I would lose my. Yes. I would get so excited. Um, and also, producer's guy is listening. Can you make sure we get double rate for Manscaped for this one? Because they're really getting their money's worth out of this, aren't they? Uh, Leon Kingmar. Uh, oh, how much do these balls retail for, Kieran? By the way, do you know? Um, I think the the official prices they can be up to a hundred pounds a piece. Can they go yeah, for a? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, you can normally get. Yeah, it's a bit like when a. Uh, yeah, we've just been talking about football kits uh, in in respect of Chelsea. You can normally buy last year's shirt at a, at a significantly discounted rate. Well, okay. you can probably buy last year's official ball um, for yeah for thirty to forty pounds. But if you want this year's this year's effort. Um, and it's always been the case of you know, remember every World Cup, yeah, you know, the ball is rounder. Yes, um, and you, and you always have a goalkeeper moaning. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's it's part of football tradition at a World Cup to say, oh, you know, the balls are, you know, they're, they're doing strange stuff. Yeah, they're too round. Yeah, too round. such thing as too round uh, rugby. I hope you're paying attention to this. Uh, we do mention the the price of balls in the book, Kieran, right at the start, uh, at sort of Sunday league level. And, yes. And that's probably enough balls now, Ed. Uh, Leon Kingmar has our next question, as I began to say earlier before yet another distraction. Uh, Leon says, I have a question about the stock market within football. How come only a small proportion of the bigger clubs list themselves on the stock market? If this is beneficial for those clubs, why do not more clubs use this strategy to earn big capital? I understand there are certain requirements and that listing yourself could be costly, but surely there's a good opportunity to earn big money. And oddly, Kieran, we started this pod talking about Millwall, and they were a club that were once listed on the stock exchange and then came off just purely because of the admin cost, basically. That's right. Millwall, Hearts, Spurs, Sheffield United. Yeah, there, there was a long, you know, sort of you know, late 
late eighties, early nineties, there, there there was a a drip 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 to you know of of clubs who who were wanting to get access to capital markets. But I think the the experience of, of the vast majority of them um was was negative. I mean the, the benefit of as Leon was hinting at, the benefit of uh, getting a stock market listing is that you get access to to fresh money. Um, but uh, yeah, if anybody who, who monitors social media is no doubt aware of this, um, what an awful lot of fans seem to think in is that, that that fresh money should simply be spent with no with no uh, connection to a financial return. All all that these these particular very angry people on social media seem to want is to spend more money um and any and any owner that doesn't do it uh yeah for some yeah there's there's an awful lot of if, if you if you go on to twitter and so on and just just type in hashtag fsg out you'll find that there is a, a significant tranche within the liverpool fan base who seem to think that only spending a hundred million pounds by the second week in July is is a lack of ambition mm. by the club owners, which which doesn't necessarily seem to add up to me. Um, if if you are going to the markets, then then you you are beholden to the markets, and and the markets are looking for a financial return. Um, there are much higher compliance costs because you've got to not only comply with company law, but you've got to comply with the rules of the London Stock Exchange or the New York Stock Exchange. And the, the little the little books of these organisations are not very little. Um, you've got to employ bankers and accountants and lawyers for your uh, initial public offering, your IPO. So, so all of those costs add up. Um, and then... If you're not making money, the the owners become effectively answerable to the markets. Now, you know one of the things we, we've noted in respect of football in this country is that you, you might not like the owners at times, but ultimately they're answerable to themselves. Um, and you, you think about the amount of criticism that's been levelled at some, they just go, "Yeah, don't care. I'm I'm still in the director's box." Um, and and I'll I'll continue to do what I consider to be right. That becomes slightly more complicated um, if if you've got a much broader uh, investment base. And and the reason why the Glazer family, to, to to a large extent, have got away with it as far as Manchester United are concerned, is that they set up the club as a company in such a way is that for every share that they own, they have ten votes, and for every share that you know, if you or I had bought them. Um, we'd only get one vote. Yeah. So therefore, they are able to achieve a greater control and, and they can effectively quash dissent. Um, they, they, these things can be successful. If we take a look at Celtic's share price, that's up 19% since the start of the year. If we take a look at Manchester United's share price, that's up 124% compared to where it was 12 months ago. Um, so yeah, there are there are financial gains and returns to be achieved, but you know, I've just mentioned there Manchester United and Celtic, both of which are big brands. And I think again, this is what Leon was was hinting at. You know, is it why aren't more big clubs on the markets? Um, it, it's it's because the the owners, yeah, Abramovich didn't want anybody anybody to tell him how to run Chelsea, so therefore he wasn't interested. It's the same with Mansour. It's the same with the with the new people in Newcastle United, um, and, and we've seen that. Uh, in, in many European countries as well. There, there are a few. You know, Ajax, um, I think Dortmund are on the market. Juventus are on the market, but they're having a terrible time. Uh, it doesn't necessarily improve things. And if you're getting more money from shareholders, then 
you are answerable to those shareholders as well. Yeah, your recent analysis of the, the FSG investment into Liverpool caused a lot of debate uh, on social media. Good debate, I have to say, but it was an interesting one. Uh, so uh, a club like Spurs then, who you would think would be an ideal club to be uh, floated on the stock exchange. They're not They're not on the stock exchange, are they, Spurs? No, but they were. Yeah. Um, th- th- uh, th- there was a big who and indeed a ha. Um, and I immediately think of Al Pacino as soon as I say <laughs> those words. I can't for some reason. Um but they they went back on they went back into privacy, um, you know. You know, Sir Alan Sugar was involved. We've now got Enoch involved. Um, I, I would say that Spurs would work um, as a stock listed, you know, stock market listed company because they, they are run as a business first and a football club second. But you know that that in itself creates tensions. You've only got to look at the relationship between Daniel Levy and, and the Spurs fan base to know that it's not a particularly fragrant one. So how then? When Spurs delisted, would would that have cost them money? And if Spurs were to uh, float again, would that cost them money as well? Um, yes, when, when the club delisted, effectively you have to give people the opportunity to sell the shares, which which I think did happen. Um, that was exactly the same when Manchester United delisted, right. um, and then they've gone they've gone back on the market. Okay, so that so that there are. There are fees that you have to pay. There's fees you have to pay to the, the institution on which you're listing. Um, you will have bankers working out the initial share price, so that you have to pay those. Um, the lawyers and the accountants will, will will rock up and say, "Hi, we've we, we, we think we deserve something as well, uh, just because we're we're, we're fun loving professionals." Is there? I know this is a proper rookie question, Kieran, but that's partly why I'm here. It, if a, if a football club or indeed a business did want to float on the stock exchange, are are, are the stock exchange able to say uh, we don't want you? Um, the stock exchange would do cursory checks. Now it could be that yeah, there might be certain industries that the stock exchange doesn't want to get involved with, um, but it, it does it does have a. Uh, it, it does have a, a handbook, um, right. so there, there are barriers there which, which potentially could prevent a, uh, an institution coming onto the market. If, if in the opinion of the, the New York Stock Exchange or the London Stock Exchange, wherever it's going to be, it would um, it, it would be to the detriment of the reputation of the institution. Okay. Our next question, Kieran, comes from Jane Jackson. Um, and again, it's a regular uh, clarification that we, we get from fans. And I'm happy to ask it again, purely because I've never fully understood the answer to this question. And Jane Jackson says this, do Premier League uh, slash championship yo-yo clubs end up with loads more parachute payments than teams who go down but don't go straight back up again? Are they applied cumulatively? Um, no, Jane, they're, they're not. The, the the parachute payments are given to those clubs who have been relegated and who are still in the EFL. If that club subsequently does trampoline back uh, to the Premier League, then those payments are kept within the Premier League and distributed to its members. Now, this I think this is a this is an issue which I think yeah, emotionally, I think it grates with many people. If we take a look at what we've just seen 
in season 22-23, Sheffield United have been promoted and Burnley have been promoted. And those two clubs, I think they would have received something in the region of £50 million between them had they been back in the EFL this season. So that £50 million now goes back into a central pot um, held by the Premier League, and it's divided equally, in, in effect, between its members. So therefore, that works out as two and a half million pounds uh, per club. So it was it's it's in the Premier League's interests of the existing clubs to have yo-yo clubs because it increases you know two two and a half million pounds, for, especially for the likes of the club that we support. Yeah, that's that, that's the vast majority of a player's wages mm. for a season. Mm. So so you can you can see why. Um, there is such consternation about parachute payments. Uh, you know, some of the uh, some of the unusual theories that, that I've observed is that it's deliberately done because it's a way of keeping money within the Premier League. I'm, I'm not really sure, certain that that is the motivation myself. Um, I, I personally, yeah, I'm a great believing compromise. I, I'd split the money 50-50. Half of it goes to clubs in the EFL. Half of it goes back to the Premier League, um, and, and then everybody can can benefit from from the success of these clubs when they do return. Uh, but but parachute payments are, are not the only reason why why clubs come straight back up. You know, there's a reason why you'd expect Leeds and Leicester and Southampton to be pretty close to the top of the, the championship table in 23-24 because they're clubs with big fan bases and they've, they've, got, they've got within their squads players who have been playing at a higher level than the championship for in recent seasons. Yeah, it, in that spirit of compromise, Kieran, if, if you do ever invite me for dinner, can we compromise and say, I'll have my squid cooked and you can have your squid <laughs> dipped in a bit of lime juice. Um, yes. I only ask that question because I'm mentally trying to work out whether two and a half million pounds would pay the wages at Palace every season, would it? Um, Palace's average wage is, uh, yeah, it's, it's around about 57, 58. So, yeah. Oh, okay. Right. About that. Oh, so, you, okay. You've, got, you've got some players on considerably more than that, as we both know. Well, we've got one who's not, who's <laughs> freed up quite a lot of money by yes. not signing a new contract. <laughs> Uh, John Hedges has a classic uh, pre-match pub discussion question for you, Kieran, and I know how much you like researching these questions. Uh, oh, Finley likes the idea of a classic pre-match pub discussion question. No, no, that, that's, that, that's the Baroness, oh. very quietly coming into the room. I'm not surprised um, the amount of gin. Uh, can she hear this? Take the headphones off, Kieran, so the Baroness can no. hear this telling off. <laughs> no, no she, she's, she's looking very chastened at the thought that her gin consumption will have impacted upon her ability to open a door well, yeah, uh, see, on a Sunday morning. If only she'd stuffed herself full of squid ceviche before she went out, she wouldn't be feeling half so bad. John Hedges says, if you wanted to own a League Two club, which of the following options would be cheaper? Buy an existing League Two club or buy a club in the National League North or South and then finance that club sufficiently to get promotion to the Football League? Um, I personally would acquire a club in League Two. Now, you'd have to pay a, a higher price for that. Um, but... The losses in the National League, I mean, that National League North is, is quite quite significant losses there as well. But the, the, the losses occurred in the National League um, are higher on, on average than they are in League Two. And, and I think we, we mentioned on the show a couple of weeks ago that I think Stockport lost somewhere in the region of four and a half million pounds. Indeed. 
in in getting promoted. Uh, Salford City, when they were promoted from the National League, they lost around about two and a half. Um, so, so we we normally are talking seven figure losses. So you'd have to effectively factor that in. It's it's a very competitive league. Um, it's it's great to watch as well. You know, it, for international breaks, go 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 and watch non league folks. It really is uh, it, it's great fun. Um, but I would probably go for a League Two club. Um, I, I, I'd be a bit loath to say which League club because I'm a bit compromised on that at present. Um, but so I'll say no more than that. Oh, uh, okay. Um, I think it's a hypothetical question, Kieran, but um, <laughs> fine. Um, I suppose John's uh, question, the answer depends whether you're asking it to a local businessman or to two Hollywood superstars as well, doesn't it? There is, yes. I mean, if, if uh, what we have seen at Wrexham is is absolutely fantastic uh, in terms of increasing the profile and, and giving a boost for for a, a town which which has had it been in pretty hard times. Um, there's there, there's a lot of competition in the National League. So if, if you buy a club in National League North. Um, first of all, you've got to get up, um, and I know I've, I've seen some of the the quotes for wages uh, for, for clubs in that in just the National League North this season, which have been quite high. We've got clubs in uh, National League being playing wages of between four to seven thousand pounds a week um, for individual players, and, and this is for a league which really doesn't have a, a TV deal as mm. of much note. Um, so, so that's why I'd probably go for for League Two, but it's. Uh, uh, it National League tough division to get out of. You know, it, Re- Wrexham and Notts County were both outstanding last year, but yeah, only one of them is guaranteed a place uh, in yeah. promotion. Then you then you got the lottery of the playoffs. Yeah, I, I think that's going to change in the next couple of seasons. I mean, mm. I mean, this is a very different answer to this question, Kieran. And if we'd been asked it twenty years ago, because uh, I don't, yeah. there won't yes. be there, oh, absolutely. there won't be many teams in National League North or South, which is essentially League Division Six, that aren't fully professional I'd, I'd hazard a guess to say there's probably only one or two that even at that level aren't fully professional well I think National League North there's a few more National League South is still mainly part-time oh, it's, okay. um, That's from, from what I understand there is there is a, a geographical split there um, I think we're, we're trying to get our friends from the EFL to come on yeah. the show so perhaps one of the questions uh, we will ask them is, you know, what's their position with regards to three up, three down from uh, the National League to the National League. So it's the National League to the EFL League Two. Um, you know, it, it does uh, it does allow their members to get back that much quicker in, in many regards. So, yeah, there are positives as well as negatives and it increases the level of excitement. Yeah, I'd, I'd be interested because I did do some research for the book about why, because there are, even as I was asking you the question, I realised I knew the answer because, I, like I say, I've been writing about it. And there are hmm. more professional teams in the north than the south. But for the life of me, I couldn't find any particular reason to explain that. So if anybody out there is either a, an economist or a football historian, he may have a, a theory uh, or, indeed, uh, the leading uh, financial football expert in the country, Kieran. I'd be interested to know what that theory is. But in the meantime... We have our penultimate question, which comes from Thomas George. Uh, and I'm very interested in the answer to this question, Kieran. Thomas George says, last season, Newcastle Ladies Training Kit was sponsored by sportsbreak.com. Would the income from that deal contribute to the FFP calculations of the wider club? And 
again, this is a question that if you'd been asked this a year later would be different because we've talked about Newcastle ladies going fully professional, even at their uh, low league position. But does that sponsorship money work towards FFP for the Newcastle United as a whole? Um, not, not as such. And the reason for this is that the losses incurred by a women's team are exempt from financial fair play calculations. So if you are getting a, a new sponsorship deal for, for a front of shirts, um, that will reduce the losses. So it will it will help from a financial point of view, but it won't make a difference in terms of the overall um, financial fair play scenario because it doesn't matter whether that deals for, for, for £100,000 or a £1 million pounds or, or whatever it's going to be. Um, but uh, yeah, we, we are seeing substantial uh, changes in in terms of uh, you know the the cost of running women's team. There, there was an article in the Athletic uh, a few days ago about uh, uh, Arsenal's new signing Russo potentially could be the first million pound uh, footballer in terms of earnings, which which I think is you know which is really good from the players' point of view. Um, you know, u- utilizing uh, both commercial and, uh, and and salary and so on. Uh, but in, in the case of of Newcastle, uh, you know, they they weren't even affiliated to the sort of Newcastle United as we know. I mean, the club was actually formed in 1989. It then sort of started a relationship with Newcastle United's uh, men's team, as it were, in, in 2016, and now it's gone completely professional. So, uh, what watch this space? You know, their their, their first match at uh, St James's Park. This was in, I think, the other you know, fourth tier of women's football yeah. attracted a crowd of 22,000, yeah. which is fantastic. Yeah, and I'm guessing whoever sponsors the shirts and the training kit of Newcastle ladies in future will be spending a lot more money than they have done in the past, wouldn't they? Mm, yes. Our, yeah. our last question, Kieran, is um, less of a question, more of an existential howl, uh, yes. basically. And I, I don't know if you can answer this question. And, and I'm guessing that Phil Chater, who asked the question, is a Coventry City fan. But Phil Chater says... Have there ever been two worse decisions than Coventry City moving out of Highfield Road to the Rico and then Wasps Rugby Club moving from London to the Rico and then buying the stadium? I mean, the the second one of those, I mean, it's fine to move stadium within a certain locality, but Mm. to move to a city that's an hour and 20 minutes away on the train did seem a strange one at the time, albeit they were driven by financial constraints even then. But you can trace Coventry's... Uh, travails, can't you, really, to that, that first moving out of Highfield Road? Although at the time, there are many Coventry fans. I know two friends of mine who said it's about time we left Highfield Road and, and it expanded our horizons. Yes, I, I think the problem that Coventry City had with Highfield Road, and, and I'm old enough to remember going there in the 80s oh. when, 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 you know, in the shop, it's all, all these seats. Yeah, this is outrageous. You know, I, yeah. I can't be an oik. Um, uh, but there was they were constrained geographically in the in the sense that the ground was hemmed in, so therefore the opportunities for expansion weren't there. Um, Coventry City were in the, the the Premier League and the old First Division, its equivalent, for thirty four years, and I think yeah. they they got into that scenario where they felt that they were never going to be relegated, and the move to the Rico was on the basis of continued involvement in the Premier League and. The revenues that that would generate, and when they were relegated, it was worse worst case scenario. You, you, they couldn't it couldn't have happened at a worse time. Um, their income went down. Their plans f- 
for the Rico uh, effectively had to be curtailed. The club was losing huge amounts of money on the back of that. You know, initially that that meant that their negotiating position was very very weak, and that's been exploited. Um, and then we've got the issue with with wasps, and and, and you know, I've I've just written a, a paper with. Uh, my colleague uh, Christina Philippou from Portsmouth University, where we, we were asked to to do an analysis of uh, rugby finances, and uh, yeah, I knew that they weren't good. But once once we'd written this thing together, we're going, Jesus Christ! Yeah, this is at least in football what we refer to as the bigger fool theory in the sense that if a football club's losing money, there's always some sucker that yeah. will come along to say, well, you know, uh, football is a global sport. It's my opportunity to get my name in the papers to, uh, it, I, I think I'm really good and I think I can get this club into you know, the championship or the Premier League and all the attention that that brings. Well, that's not the case in rugby. So, so when you've got clubs that are struggling, uh, there's a much smaller uh, pool of faults, uh, for want of a better phrase, um, who, and, and that's why we've seen three rugby clubs go out of existence. In terms of Phil's question, has there ever been a worse decision than Coventry City moving out? I would say um, Brighton's decision to uh, release Roy Keane um, because he was too small uh, <laughs> is, is, is probably up there after he came across for a trial. <laughs> the, the rugby, I mean... You know I'm not the world's biggest rugby fan, Kieran, but I absolutely yeah. I absolutely respect the fact that there are many people who feel about their rugby club the way I feel about my football club. But part of the issue with rugby surely is that, you know, growing up in a, to all extents and purposes, uh, Irish grammar school in, mm. in South London uh, in, in the 70s, London Irish then, yeah, we, one of our uh, PE teachers played for them, but they were essentially... A volunteers club. No one was being, you know, it was a it was a social club. It was a, a yes. decent level rugby club. And and if if you'd said then at, at some stage London Irish will be a professional rugby union team playing in front of however many people it was at wherever you know Reading for a long time, you you would have laughed at them. So it it almost seems as though rugby overreached itself and looked at football, going, well, that's you know professional. Look look what's it's look what it's done for them. And it's it was never going to have the same pull. You were never going to attract as many people to watch rugby games as you were to watch football games. And also, we talked about the expectation of fans before. Rugby fans are a very different beast to to football fans, aren't they? It's it's much more of a social thing. For I know there have been many rugby fans going. It's not the case, but for many rugby fans, it's much more of a social event. The the, the idea of professionalism wasn't something that they were clamouring for. It seems to me. That's right. I mean, I would, yeah, having done this work and, and I'm involved in something else with another government agency at present, um, sort of the conclusion that, that I'm reaching is that rugby union in particular has become professional in terms of its cost base, but still amateur in terms of attitudes in the boardroom and its ability to generate revenues. And, and you put those two things together and that's not good. I mean, if, if you compare it to rugby league, which operates a, a really tightly controlled cost control measures, um, you know, rug, rugby league is far more professional in, in, in its outlook. And also I think in, in its, its realistic expectations than rugby union. But you know, this, this is the price of football rather than the yeah, of course. price of rugby. Um, speaking of government agencies, Kieran, I, I, I don't think it's a secret, is it, that you you were asked by Interpol to talk to them, is it? 
No, no, you no, mentioned no, that. No. But what what we what we don't think we mentioned was that uh, uh, you and I and and the Baroness bumped into each other in that there London's Covent Garden on Thursday because you were going to one play, I was going to another, and we had time for a quick drink. And I was I was very impressed when Gail revealed to me what what your attire was, Kieran, for said Interpol conference. When I was expecting that maybe you'd be wearing a suit and tie, but would you like to share with our listeners what it was you wore? To talk to Interpol? Um, well, one of my favourite bands <laughs> is the New York band Interpol, who um, I'm actually seeing at Somerset House on Monday night this week. Um, so uh, she's normally, uh, she normally monitors me very carefully because, you know, what I think is is wry and amusing um, normally gets the, the big finger of, disapproval from the Baroness. Uh, but as she was planning a, a, a trip to some gin festival, she was somewhat distracted. So, yes, I I, I rocked up um, in, in an Interpol T-shirt um, and uh, uh, there was uh, there were chief constables from the UK, from uh, Scandinavia, from elsewhere in Europe, from Australia, from Ireland. There were lots of people from quite senior agencies. <laughs> There's this this bejesus idiot uh, <laughs> talking about amortisation and, and how to cook the books, but it, it couldn't. It, it worked out ridiculously well for me because. Uh, I think, as I said on the, the other day, as as I finished the show, Andy Pilly went down for thirteen years for fraud, and I've just been saying, well, <laughs> you know, the, the, these, the, this is a tick box of what the, the owners are looking for, um, and and that uh, that was a that was a very fortunate coincidence. Yes, I, I understand your presentation was a great success, but uh, it just it <laughs> all the way to the theatre I was going to, I was just laughing at the idea of this sitcom shot of panning across the stony faces of senior uniformed officers. It's this bloke <laughs> in an Interpol. Because uh, one of them would be going, I didn't I didn't even know we did T-shirts. This is surely <laughs> surely drawing attention to ourselves in a way we wouldn't we wouldn't want yes. to happen. But I like to think there was at least one. I, I like to think there's at least one cheese comfortable there who just went, yeah, good man, good man. <laughs> Thank you to everyone who's donated to the pod via our Patreon page. If you'd like to make a small monthly contribution, even as well to the pod, that'd be yes. very kind of you. And you can go to patreon.com slash price of football. If you have a question you'd like answered on the show, email us at questions at price of football.com. And we will ask you on our next questions pod. We'll be back on Thursday with our, I think our last news pod before a two week break, but we do have podcasts for you. Don't worry, including our first ever nostalgia one in the meantime now i shall hand you over to mr kieran mcguire for his customary farewell well thank you everybody for your support of the show and if, if, you, if you want to listen to the show without adverts i think you can do that via uh, going down the patreon route but uh, you know, uh equally some of you enjoy the adverts and it gives you a give you a break on your walk and your your gym and so on there's other ways in which you can support the show and that's to give us a review Go on to an app, give us a review. Doesn't matter what you say, by all accounts. Um, I'm going to see Blur later today. So, therefore, you could even say you would rather have the show presented by Damon Albarn and Damien from The Omen. He would be an interesting oh, club owner, wouldn't he? That would be, I think, Damon Albarn would be one of the few hosts that are actually cooler than the two original hosts, Kieran. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's brilliant. Bye. Brilliant. Bye, everybody. Bye. The price of football.
that provides some photo ball.